0: Welcome to Adopting Zero Trust, an independent podcast that dives into the world of zero trust and tells the story of people who are adopting it. Throughout our series, we'll investigate why zero trust is becoming a critical concept for cybersecurity. Our hosts, Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis, will have transparent and open conversations with the people driving modern security approaches forward, while leaving vendor hype behind. It's time to remove implicit trust and buzzwords and get to the root of the movement.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of AZT, or Adopting Zero Trust. I'm your producer, Elliot Volkman, alongside our currently munching on, I don't know what, something terrible at the airport, Neil Dennis, alongside our wonderful guest, Janet, who will, in just a moment, introduce herself. So, as with our typical format, we do have a theme in mind. And this is going to be one of those really excellent episodes that Anil and I have honestly just been waiting to lock in with you all. Zero trust as a concept, maybe like a philosophy, it definitely aligns with this idea that prevention has more impact than being in this reactive state where, you know, as things arise, you're knocking them out. The idea is you're supposed to get ahead of those threats. So, we have an expert who works at an organization. Of a uh, significant size, to say the least. Um, but with that being said, Janet, I figure maybe we'll just hand it off to you instead of me just trying to read off your uh, LinkedIn resume, so to speak. Of course. Uh, maybe we can chat about uh, where you're at and what led you to where you are today.
0: Yeah. So I'm currently the CISO at iHeartMedia. And I've been here almost three years now. And I've uh, been in the CISO role for over almost maybe a dozen years um, at various companies, different industries. And I'm uh, kind of gravitate towards learning new industries. Um, so that's you know you know and how they op- how they operate and how security is the same or different at the different companies I've worked at.
1: Very cool. And I know that you've also worked at some uh, pretty large organizations, not just at iHeartRadio. So you're no stranger to handling these at just magnanimous levels. Uh, plus, I suspect since uh, you work at where you work. Probably uh, tolerant of people like Neil and myself being uh, a little more obnoxious and uh, uh, goofy on this. So fortunately, we're not very structured. So I I, I appreciate you coming on and uh, (laughs) uh, bearing with us as Neil's in the airport. So we'll see how that all turns out. It's new for us, new territory. That all said, you know, I again, I just want to look a little bit more into your background. Obviously, you didn't wake up one day and become CISO, a giant organization. There was a pathway that kind of led you towards that. Some people stick towards being in the weeds and practitioner, being strategy, being intel. You're kind of the you know combination of everything, including that business element that organizations absolutely need. That top down person that can speak towards these different elements. So I'd love to know what led you towards that business perspective of cybersecurity.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's something that I've always gravitated towards, as far as I call it, bridging the gap between. IT talk and non IT talk, being able to really translate business needs into technology processes or solutions. And that's something that I've kind of always had a, I guess I call it a knack for. And I've started out in IT, you know, early in my career as a programmer moved into, you know, leadership management roles. And I got into a role when I worked at Merck, pharmaceutical company, doing leading an organization, they called it e-learning. So that was when learning was, you know, used to be in classroom. And then we moved it all to being able to do synchronous or asynchronous online learning. And I moved in that same company. I moved from e-learning into e-discovery, which is the collection preservation of of data in preparation for legal matters, right? And that was as a pharmaceutical company, obviously they have some legal matters as any pharmaceutical company does. And so that was a pretty big organization. And that kind of folded me under into the the then leader of security at Merck and I got exposed to a lot of my peers and what they were doing in security. And a lot of it was like the information lifecycle, right? It's the, the things we were doing in e-discovery where we were capturing data and preserving data, but oh, we had all this data that maybe, you know, we didn't need to have because people aren't good at throwing away data. And it kind of led into that that whole, you know, my, my interest and in, in desire to get into security. And now I kind of call it like I'm in e-security, right? Because I've been to e-learning mm. and e-discovery and now e-security. <laughs>
1: very cool yeah that absolutely that's like a very interesting journey you know i i feel like a lot of the people that we may have chatted with are not necessarily on the in the weeds programming perspective maybe neil kind of lines more towards that world but yeah it's very cool to see that that perspective but let's shift over towards the elephant in the room which is being able to i guess secure an organization with i think it is at least eleven thousand employees I can only imagine the physical footprint and the digital footprint that gets involved, but maybe you can give us a little bit of perspective to help us conceptualize just how vast the amount of information and people that you have to secure is in your role.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can give you some background on, on iHeart as a company, just because I think people, people know the app, the iHeartRadio app. I think that's like everyone connects to that when I hear, mm-hmm. when I say iHeart and they call the company iHeartRadio, even though the company's iHeartMedia. So it's, you know, that's obviously what they relate to, right? Is the app. And we have, you know, the largest number of downloads and streams on the app for, uh, compared to, you know, any of our peers we do. So that's a kind of our digital side the live streaming of live stations and podcasts and all that. And then we have the radio side. And in the US, we have about 860 radio stations across the country in what we call 160 US markets. So if you pick like Miami, that's a market and they have five or six radio stations there and all the cities that, you know, so you do the multiplication, right? Of 160 times five or six radio stations, a little more in some. So you get 860 radio stations, live broadcast, and then we do events so we'd have, we just did the iHeart Country Festival here in Austin, in San Antonio. So Austin's right up the road. We do the annual iHeart Music Festival, iHeart Radio Music Festival, which is a two-day event in Las Vegas and all sorts of, you know, I think we do like 20,000 events y- annually. So just kind of giving you the perspective of, you know, all the different things we do as a company.
1: Yeah, that, that is quite a footprint to say that you need to cover just absolutely everything. So, I mean, well, I hope you don't mind me asking this, but. Obviously, that probably comes with quite a bit of pressure then.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, you know, one of the other things that I didn't mention is because we're in radio, we're actually, you know, part of the emergency broadcast system. So there is, that's another just, you know, added, (laughs) you called it pressure, right? (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. And, but there there are things that are, I say, common across the different industries that are companies that I've worked at in different industries. I think a lot of it is you were talking about the proactive, you know, proactive nature, And I always said, if I could build an an IT organization from the ground up, right, and then you could build security in by design, right? So you have security Mm -hmm. by design, especially as a security practitioner, that would be a priority for me, right? As I built, you know, had the opportunity to build an IT organization, brand new company, kind of Greenfield thing. It's my, you know, my fantasy, my dream (laughs) to be able to do that. But we all have legacy. Every company has legacy. Every company has systems that have to be up all the time. You know, whether that's back when I was in biotech and we had, you know, we were actually, you know, they're biological products that grow. And so you can't turn off anything off because they're actually growing and living organisms all the way to, you know, the cruise ships that have to be, you know, out at sea all the time. There's you no, know, there's always something that's, you can't turn off. And so I think there's some common challenges. And then I think each company in the different industries has their own kind of unique Unique challenges when it comes to being to to moving to a more proactive state
1: yeah, and i I think you nailed the the matter on the head where I was kind of going with this is that you know i I could only imagine so being in your shoes is probably pretty stressful, but that means uh, a reactive state is never going to be you know a spot that you want to be, in. so prevention is you know probably that most critical aspect. I assume as like again as a business leader that's just. <laughs> The nature of the beast that you have to find ways to constantly get ahead of threats, any kind of issues, not even just necessarily on the cybersecurity side, but yeah, I I think that just kind of pivots very well into the theme at hand, which is uh, prevention. But I'd love to just know maybe your philosophy between of uh, you know prevention as it relates to cybersecurity or just in general, like you know maybe maybe I'm off that base and making too many assumptions there, but. I'd love to just know your perspective on the role prevention plays.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing I like to make sure happens or the company that I, you know, work for has in place is really strong detection and response, right? So if you look at, you know, the NIST cybersecurity framework, right, the detection and response components, I think you have to have in place. They have to be your most mature functions because everybody's going to get hit with something, and being able to detect it early and respond quickly. Those are your two, you know, the best the best way you can be ready. I wouldn't say proactive, mm-hmm. but ready, right? And then the prevention piece, which, you know, prevent is, is also one of the five NIST categories. That is, I think it's a, like almost like a never-ending investment opportunity <laughs> when it comes to what you can do to prevent bad things from happening in a couple ways, right? And it's not just in tools, right? It's in people, and you can call the people, you know, divide people up into the people you need to hire on your security team and the awareness that you need to give your employees in an organization so that they can help you prevent bad things from happening. And then, you know, looking around at all the different aspects of IT from, you know, application development, where you are in the cloud, what your network looks like, there's just so many different opportunities to have visibility into what's happening there and you know, there's a tool, there's a tool for everything in security right now, right? There's lots of tools. So it's balancing, you know, what you, you know, your priorities, what you have to have, versus the maybe, you know, you can get this some other way, or you don't, you know, down to the bottom, kind of like you can push that off a little bit. Uh, Because you could spend, you know, all the security dollars, and probably all of IT dollars, (laughs) investing in security tools, if, if for prevention, I mean, there's just so much out there.
1: Yeah, uh, that absolutely makes sense. And in fact, I'm going to hand this over to Neil because this is a conversation that I think we've had for I don't know, the last three episodes. It's just that common theme of, yeah, absolutely spot on. There is a tool for everything. And now there's probably a tool for a few too many things. But <laughs> Neil, let's let's get
2: you to add some color into this conversation of the consolidation. <laughs> I have a couple of curiosity questions, actually, maybe to preface this with. So given that that you are a media conglomerate, right, you mentioned the market spaces and the scope of what that is. I, I imagine nowadays in the digital world a lot of this is probably being recorded more like what we're doing today in a sense, right, and then broadcast out maybe through some kind of digital gateway then up through the antenna, all this other fun stuff. Aside from all that fun stuff that goes on to actually get the signals out to everybody, I think that to me seems kind of fun to think about from a unique situation where... You blatantly have to have an open, at least one way for both a digital consumption path on the internet as well as through the phone platforms and the apps. So that's a whole nother thing: AppSec versus web app as well as the all the tools that go into making that a reality. Right. So normal companies, even at Merck, yes, they've got gateways for updates, for tools, and things like that. But those are very focused things. You've got, you've got a literal nationwide gateway thing. I'm sure there's some things y'all done maybe to focus on that. But I'm all that to say, I'm just intrinsically curious about that footprint and how you've kind of considered that footprint, or if that's even something that's even worth considering nowadays, have y'all been able to like consolidate these endpoints and these footprints down to a manageable aspect as you build this preventative mentality around things?
0: So the, there's a couple different technologies involved in, so radio broadcasts, right, is different than the Heart radio app for example right and so the radio broadcast you know transmits from the radio station to the towers out to the radio waves right to the transmission waves and I, I consider that to be the operational technology side the ot side of of the business if you will every every company i work for has the ot and the what i say is it's not as as interesting or susceptible in some ways that as other apps might be, other things that might be like apps. And then we have the iHeartRadio app, which is available, you know, in a lot of different technology platforms. And so that's, that's, you know, an app that we obviously want to ensure is secure. And because it is, you know, out there as, as it is like, as our, just our regular website, our our iHeartRadio website, where you can sign in and listen to podcasts and radio as well. So they're they're kind of two different animals, if you will. And I think that the radio app is probably much more visible.
2: Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense. So, so I, I used to work in the OT side of the house, so I'm always just kind of intrinsically curious about the blending of OT and IT aspects of things because we've come such a long way with this, right? And, you know, even 10 years ago, if you talk to someone who was setting up any kind of OT network and they saw a Cat5 cable on the back of it, the first curiosity point was to find a Cat5 cable, plug it in, and then forget to remove it and then realize that it was plugged into something it shouldn't have been for however long it was, right? And that, I mean, that was only 10, 15 years ago. So I always find it very interesting to think about security where we finally got into a more blended architecture where people understand OT and IT and playing together. And now obviously we have IoT as a mainstream construct, right? Yeah. So that's awesome. So from a security perspective and moving this forward, like Elliot mentioned, there's a lot of tech stacks out there. There's a lot of growth that that people went over the last couple of years, courtesy of covid and in your case, like you mentioned earlier on, there's a lot of legacy hardware that you just already intrinsically have. Probably some of it because of how the OT systems work, I imagine. Some of it because of different iterations around you know, web app and app security, mobile app security, stuff like that. How are y'all approaching kind of the, the potential consolidation aspect? How are y'all looking at this larger tech stack that you've likely adopted over the last few years more so than anything and and trying to think about you know approaching that either a securing it or maybe whittling away at it as part of the security
0: process
2: (laughs) you know kind of what are your thoughts around those process flows for that
0: yeah and i think when you when you go back a few years and you think of ot the folks that traditionally have you know run that right whatever and again whatever industry you're in there's that that group of people that are you know whether they're engineers technicians whatever right they're not maybe weren't part of IT and they you know they tend to be for right for all the right reasons protective of their systems right and so getting including them into trying out some of the new tools that are out there that actually you know, they can protect my laptop and they can protect your OT server as well, right? So getting kind of, getting over that barrier, if you will, of, you know, we won't, it won't, you know, we can install endpoint protection on your OT device. It won't bring it down, you know, it won't shut it down. It won't cause all this, you know, all these problems and just really working together as part of a team to start to uh, make inroads into that. Um, That's what I found to be the most, helpful and, and actually, you know, kind of helps with the momentum as well. And you're right, you do uncover things, you know, and I, this is kind of a broad statement wherever I've worked, right? You do uncover things that, you know, aren't, aren't compatible, aren't going to work with whatever you're trying to do to secure it. And you have to come up with some, depending on what it is, you might have to come up with a workaround or, or some other mitigation that gives you visibility into what's happening that doesn't necessarily end up in with you re- installing something on it just because, you know there is. There's legacy and then there's legacy, legacy, right? <laughs> Just doesn't, you know, doesn't operate the same way.
2: No, no worries. That's, that's very true. Man, gosh, I still break things that I'm not supposed to break when I go on site with certain clients, but that's a different thing. That being said, you know, I, I think echoing this a little bit, you know, communication is obviously always key, right? Uh, there's, there's overly, pro- I think the OT side of the house, no matter where they're at in this journey, they're always the most protective of their infrastructure, <laughs> Period than any right. other engineer on either on the IT side will ever be and so I, I, I think that's awesome you know just have an open comms line with them let them know that you're not here to destroy them you're here to hopefully keep them from getting destroyed and mm-hmm. then see if you can get them to tag along with the new toys so on that note though are y'all from a tech stack perspective are y'all looking at or already or planning to leverage any kind of like intrinsic automation beyond just the security team itself because i know we've got soar that's been around for a while but you know there's kind of some fun trends courtesy of this tech boom uh, growth or tech purchase boom rather uh, there's been some decent trends i think with people finally getting on board with the automation beyond instant response is that something that y'all are starting to maybe consider already have for helping with some of this more preventative structure flow
0: the team likes to stay abreast of everything that's going on. And, you know, one of the characteristics I look for in it, in my team's mates are is curiosity and learning. Right. And so we are constantly looking at what's going what the future trends are and building that into our roadmap where it makes sense. The, there's some concerns. I, you know, I wouldn't say I have concerns, but I have maybe proceed with caution about automation. A lot of the, and why I say that is because they're, you know, depending on what the automation will do, can do for us, it can also undo some stuff, right? So what I mean by that is it can, you know, we build up a, a very strong partnership with IT and with our, with our OT team and also just, you know, the general, the business in general. And you can really flush that down the toilet in one error in automation, right? And so we want to proceed with caution with that. But definitely want to take advantage of it where it makes sense.
2: Awesome. Awesome. So I think from a thematics perspective, when we start thinking about action items, both preventative and, and reactive. So I'm, I'm as an Intel analyst, I'm always pushing people to be more proactive in their, their efforts, both on the SOC side and everything else. Right. So one of the big things I harp on is more of a intrinsic value of what Intel brings to a company as a whole, not just a SOC. That's kind of why I kind of go down the rabbit hole with the automation piece a little bit. But I think you're kind of also echoing my sentiment here just in general with what what I can bring to the table as a whole from an Intel perspective is what I think most orgs are trying to get to is just that communications bridge, period, right? Uh, Finding pathways to have that good conversation. And I I think prospectively, like you alluded to a few seconds ago, if you've got the right people chatting about anything, really, the right conversation is going to probably happen to get things moving forward, right?
0: Yes. And I think most people want to, you know, be more secure for sure, regardless of their role and where they sit in the organization. Some of it's just, you know, understanding the impact, knowing how they can help and making sure. I think the real important thing is building that trust and understanding that I know what it is that's important to you, right? It's not like security, security, security. Let's just go hammer it in everywhere, right? It's, it's got to be in partnership And have joint and aligned goals to make it happen.
2: I think we've kind of hit the jackpot, Elliot. The last couple of weeks, we've had two wonderful personas here in the C-suite level here that have both very, very upfront and very blunt said, "We need to talk. We got to have communications. If we don't, then why are we even doing the job? Basically, why? What? You know, we're not going to get enough stuff done." I think this is awesome. I think this is also a growth over the last 10, 15 years where most C-suite people were. You know, they would they would talk, obviously, to themselves, but then there wasn't a lot of conversation downstream or there wasn't a lot of involvement. And I I think that's kind of neat to see. And you talk about, you know, you you know, you've got curious people on your team that are looking at new things, you know, that the people are talking with one another. And those are not conversations I would have had with my C-suite, you know, I I don't know, maybe right before COVID. It would have been more like, oh, you're Neil. Hi, I don't know who you are. I'm the manager of your Intel department. And he's like, yeah, I don't know what that is. <laughs> so no, I think this is awesome. It's good stuff. So on the preventative perspectives, you know, from a zero trust mentality, and you look at your larger orchi- your your larger architecture that you're personally dealing with. How far down the hole have y'all gone with from the the zero trust mentality, from like access controls and whether for the the tooling or for the personnel, and how important is it for you to see that kind of wrap up as part of that preventative mentality to make sure that, you know, limited exposure, limited access, especially, you know, web app and all that other fun stuff that you have to manage.
0: Yeah, and I think the wording that you used makes a lot of sense, right? It's talking about that preventative um, positioning versus the, you know, I I can't get very far into my organization talking about zero trust, right? Because it's, you know, it's a great term and we all understand what it means, but it's really just, you know, preventing openings that don't need to have exist right that's what you're trying to do is you're trying to pr- just we used to you know make everything easier for every everybody but now that's also easier for the bad guys so when we've got to kind of close i always say it's like we close the front door but the back window's open right so your bad guy's going to crawl in the back window so yeah you, ha- you know that's the analogy one of the analogies i use to kind of help describe what that preventative uh position is that you want to be in right Yeah. I mean, I think companies in general are, you know, the security organizations within companies in general are all heading down this zero trust path in some way, shape, or form. I think it varies depending on the company's priorities. Quite frankly, the economy that we're in right now is a little challenging for everybody. And so things may have, you know, companies may have slowed down a little bit, but I think, you know, the days of, oh, you know, do we have multi-factor authentication? Like some of the stuff is just table stakes and you're expected to have it, especially if you've ever been through the getting cybersecurity, I'm sorry, cybersecurity insurance. That's always a fun endeavor. And they're, you know, it's changed with just that, just the insurers have changed over the past, I'd say five or so years, right now that they've had to make some payouts and they're asking tougher questions. So kind of circling back, I think everybody's on that journey. And it's just a matter of whether you're a government agency, a financial institution, healthcare, right? all these different industries that probably have, you know, they're either regulated or they're very interesting to the bad guys.
2: No, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you. No, I I was just kind of very curious about about the the blending uh, from the blending of technologies, right? And then having this large global, well, potentially global footprint, because I know for a fact when I went overseas, I was listening to iHeart. But this larger global footprint combined with the traditional aspects of what you're doing, what that's done from like a prioritization of how you all have approached the, the security structure in a sense. Like what, what have you all maybe prioritized over other things in a sense of high level, you know, identity access management from a personal perspective, web app security from XYZ like engineering perspective or, you know, just that general kind of aspect of that large footprint that you really do have.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, it's, it's, it's probably not uncommon just for us, but, you know, the, the cloud has definitely grown immensely in the past, I'm going to pick a number, maybe four years I've seen, you know, exponentially just, again, uh, peer companies, you know, colleagues that I, you know, that work at different companies, it's just the way companies are going, right? And I think that the cloud, so cloud security, I think is, a, is really a number one priority for a lot of organizations. Because they're, they may have gone cloud first and security last. And it's kind of like a, I say that jokingly, but maybe not so jokingly. And again, seeing that just from you know what's been done, you know, organizations I've been at, at the pat in the past as well. It's it's an area that I don't think the cloud providers really did a You know, I wouldn't say they did a disservice, but they maybe didn't do as good of a service as they could have done when it came to hey, bring all your workloads over to the cloud everything will be great, it'll be cheaper, it'll be more secure, it'll be this, it'll be that, right? Well, I'm not sure what there has actually held true.
2: I like that. I think we just talked with someone a little bit more about cloud security ownership and who who really should be responsible. You know, in some some layers, you pick, a, pick your flavor of cloud, but some of those layers, you know, they, they provide an elevated service, but it's obviously at a premium and it's a very limited amount of people who go all the way through with that premium offering. I do know from personal exposure that at a base level that there's a decent amount of things that go on through like the Cloud Security Alliance and a few other organizations, but they're not worried about your open server. They're not worried about making sure that you, you know, have a secure password or lock this down or have MFA or whatever else it is, right? All they care about is way up here if someone very bad is doing very bad things. Or way down at the very, very bottom is someone's trying to take out some very minor things that tends to be trending. They don't care about the middle road stuff too much just because of various reasons. won't go into that. But I I think that's that's kind of an intriguing question. Do you see yourself now with the cloud security side, uh, and I think this is, once again, another generic kind of trends piece here. Do you see the trend leaning more towards uh, pushing the AWSs, Googles, and Azures of the world? to be more intrinsically involved with the larger security component outside of the additional, like, expensive services that they sometimes offer? Do you see that kind of push to make them be a little more supportive of just making sure things aren't intrinsically just broken by proxy?
0: I have not. I mean, I I do know that they offer their own kind of tooling for security, right? They're kind of native tool sets that come with, you know, to your point, pick the cloud you know whichever cloud service provider you're talking about they do offer tools i think that they could come uh, they would they could offer more i guess is what I, I would say but it the the responsibility is clearly on the um customer right and that's that's the point that i don't think everybody got when they decided, you know, when companies decide to go to the cloud. I don't think that's something that's thought of. That's kind of goes back to my, I wish I could build an IT organization from scratch, right? Because there'd be so many places that you couldn't do that without this piece of security. You can do that without this other piece of security. You know, it's just, you need to have them coupled together. And so what we're faced with is for security professionals is, you know, kind of backpedaling and trying to, you know, trying to catch up, they're running ahead in the cloud, and we're trying to catch up to them, right? And we're finding along the way, we get stopped with all these like, oh, we got this thing over here, Ooh, we got credentials over there, we've got this, you know, S3 nice bucket open. So we're kind of getting derailed as we're trying to catch up to them. So that's, it's kind of like a parallel path that we're on, which is like, how do we repair, fix, change what's already happening in the cloud? And then we stop it from continuing to happen as they you know, as you know, companies go deeper and deeper into the cloud.
2: Oh, so you hit on another fun one. So do you find that you're faced with a lot of potentially net new like rogue IT things going on? I know once again pre-cloud or pre-official push in the cloud, you had an IT department and they took care of everything from the respectful of you know deployment and, and the actual operational yeah, the O word, of things. So, you know, IT used to build things, manage things, maybe help secure things, but more or less, they were there. They knew what was readily accessible. And now, courtesy of cloud, courtesy of COVID, do you find yourself battling a constant fight of, wow, I didn't know we bought this. Wow, I didn't know we put things in GitHub yesterday with this new GitHub server, or whatever, stuff to that effect.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think what helps with that is, is again, the employee side of it, right, the people side of it is really Having a, a good awareness, I call it campaign, but it can, it, you know, it's really communication about why you should or shouldn't do things. Getting embedded in the procurement process, follow, I call it follow the money, right? Who are we paying? And then follow that back to what, what are we paying them for? And, you know, who in the company is, is, you know, engaged with them to pay them in the first place. That certainly helps getting, again, if you've got less people kind of going out on their own, doing these things, certainly this, I mean, the one thing I would mention is SaaS, right? SaaS has really made it, you know, you show up with your credit card, you, you know, you're good to go. And I I think that the, the, it really gets down to the process and the awareness of, of, to being able to kind of nip that in the bud, if you will. Right. And again, it's visibility, right? So if you can see where you're and there's tools for that. If you can see where your employees are going, you can see you can get really good visibility into um, what what sites they're going to, what SaaS apps are going to, what kind of sites they are, what kind of apps they are, and then kind of understand exactly what the business purpose is, or not, and then prioritize from there. You know, does it have a big? Would it have a big impact, or is it really you know low impact on the company potentially? Right. but You
2: don't know. Yeah. I think that's awesome because that's I do honestly feel like that's something that a lot of leadership forgets nowadays is that they need to be actively engaged in trying to find those potential rogue assets. I wouldn't well, not assets, but rogue toolings or procurements, especially in the SaaS world. And so I think that's to your point. It's it's important to have a process flow to identify that and have that conversation one way or another. And on that same vein, are you all. Are y'all faced with a, like a mix of remote and on-prem staff nowadays? Do you have, do you have like a recording studio in someone's basement that you have to worry about just as much as you do a corporate studio kind of thing as well? Is that part of y'all's Yeah,
0: you know, we have concern? a mix. I mean, when COVID hit, you know, certainly we went remote and still broadcast live and some talent pre- prefers to be in the studio, in the office and some talent, you know, can do it remotely. But that was certainly just having a remote workforce in general, right, is is a switching from an in, a full in office, you know, workforce to a remote workforce, regardless of what business you're in was, you know, super challenging during COVID. I was still at Royal Caribbean at the time when we when we made the when COVID hit and we all kind of went home that March in 2020. Yeah, it's, it's there's so many factors that go into it that are including security and then even beyond that.
2: So, out of curiosity, what's what would you consider maybe a key starting place when we start moving down the preventative piece? Where would you suggest people maybe start their looks into building into that more proactive effort?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of depends on where you are and maturity-wise. There's, you know, the, the the big ones are, you know, single sign-on MFA, right? So, if you can get SSO and MFA in place, that's super helpful, especially for those what you call rogue apps, right? So people aren't, you know, after they leave the company, they didn't, we didn't know they even had that app and then maybe they still have access to it. So that certainly helps from that aspect. And then the, and again, it depends on your company and your own priorities for your individual industry that you're in. I think visibility into what's going on in your endpoints. And there's a lot of good tools out there for that to, you know, that doesn't just look for bad, you know, bad files or bad hashes or whatever. They also look at behavior, right? So the computers operating in a way that Neverland normally would operate and, and having all of that data aggregated into a SIM so that you can make heads or tails of it. Because you, know, you, know, you don't want your security folks burned out by responding to the, I don't know, the false positives, right? So there's a lot of tuning that has to go on. But I think those are kind of the first couple things I would recommend. Because gaining visibility is hard. And by that, I mean, people don't typically measure or even know how to get metrics to measure how we're doing and how far we've gotten tools implement, implemented and you know those kind of things. And I think understand, understanding what your footprint is as a whole, lot of, from uh, you know what are all our assets that we actually own and and do I have protection on all of them? And if I don't know what they all are, how can I have protection? How do I know if they're all protected? So <laughs> that's I think visibility is definitely um, uh, I would call it a foundational step in in prevention.
2: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like that one. I once again, twenty years ago, doing this stuff, trying to find things before cloud was a pain in the butt. Finding things now with cloud is obviously a bigger pain in the butt. But I, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of cool companies that have come along with you know not naming names on them at all. But I feel like there's a lot of decent headway that's been made over the last ten. And I know COVID has definitely skyrocketed this a little bit. But, you know, it used to be good luck Go do a port scan in map network capture, whatever, and hope that you could figure out what was going on where. Right. Maybe just a large dump and Wireshark. <laughs> 15 years ago <laughs> um, used to run something called NetMonkey and backtrack back in the day that would do all the protocol captures. But it was never obviously a complete picture. But now I, I think that that discovery phase of what's going on has definitely come a lot further thankfully
0: yes i i would love
2: on a separate discussion offline perhaps or later on talk with you about your procedures for doing exactly that because i think that in and of itself is a wonderful whether it's 10 minutes of no i just use this and we're done or if it's you know an hour of i've done this we work this way we've done that i think that would be an amazing discussion to talk about how you've done Just the discovery phase of stuff, planning and it's all that. It's definitely
0: a journey. It definitely is an evolving journey. It's I don't think you're ever done. Something new always pops up.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Having the right tools in play to hopefully monitor for all that stuff, I hope, and things like that. No, it's awesome. So I think on the last note here, when we think about, you know, the, the the identity access management piece, SSO, SAML, things of that nature, MFA, you know, I just to iterate some of the things we've heard on Prior episodes, I think that that even though it's obviously there's a lot of ways to get around it from a threat actor perspective, most of the threat actors that take the time to do that are, are usually a slightly step ahead of your traditional just cyber crime oriented basics that most of us deal with every day. So I, I personally iterate how important it is just to start off with MFA as well. And that alone, you know, goes towards that you know ounce of prevention worth a ton of whatever uh, whatever the phrase is. My, my Texas Marine Corps brain doesn't want me to remember the phrases here, but it is what it is.
1: I, mean, I can yeah. fill it in for you. It is a pound yeah, cure, and it was Benjamin Franklin.
2: Thank you. That's right. I, I would expect someone who lives five minutes away from it's Benjamin Franklin. It's because Franklin's I put it in a document away.
1: before this. Otherwise, it, it's because I put this in a document <laughs> before you showed up. I had no idea before that. So. Uh, no, uh, but it for... does make me feel good to make you uh, think I'm a little smarter for the ones.
2: Oh, I know you're way smarter than me. Otherwise, we wouldn't have this podcast, so that's just how it goes. Yeah. Don't let Elliot sell himself short. He says he's producer, but what he really is is chief wrangler, chief intelligence officer, and a bunch of other things right now. So. Uh, oh, so I'll tell you, what, with that, I'm going to throw it back over to Elliot because I know we're coming up close to time. I know we can go over a little bit, but I just want to go ahead and give it back to Elliot to see if he's got any more curiosity points and let's see where we go.
1: I think one of those areas that you had indicated is that you're in a position right now where you sort of get a pave and create a story out of like this cybersecurity system, so to speak. Um, and removing yourself from this particular equation, so you don't actually have to walk through the seat you're in today. But let's say budget was an issue, which obviously, we know that that will never be reality. But <laughs> In a, you know, a wonderful land with a candy that doesn't make us gain weight and all that stuff. If you had unlimited budget and you were trying to build that dream team, I'd love to know from like the person perspective, not even the technology perspective. What are some of those critical, you know, hires that you feel are absolutely must that you have to build in to maybe focus on that preventative piece?
0: Good question. As a security professional you kind of you need to always ask why, so you need to be really curious. And when you get an answer, you have to like ask the next question, right? So I think one of the colleagues I work with outside of you know it's an outside company that uh, I work with that uses it uh, like run it run to ground. You need to run everything to ground, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I don't think that's natural for everybody. I think people get an answer and they take it and they're like, okay, got my answer. Uh, <laughs> and so I think that's something that people either have or don't have, and so that's one you know. I keep calling it a skill set, but it's really just kind of a way of being. And I, I mentioned, the, you know, wants, people who want to be a constant learner. So curiosity and learning are certainly big. For the kind of roles, if I take like the individual people out of it and just say, like, what do we need in people roles in security? I think it kind of depends on what part of security you're in. So if you're doing, I'll just pick on, you know, cloud security, application security, you need a background as a practitioner in that and I, I think the reason being is you need to be able to immediately build trust and confidence so that the people that you're working with and you know reporting to them on their findings that you know the findings that you come up with whether it's based on their, their code base if it's an application security or how they have their you know their, their infrastructure configured in the cloud so you're credible right you have to have that credibility. So I think those are important. If you're in kind of the governance, risk, and compliance area, you really need to understand who your audience is and what mm. matters to them. I mean, I think you need that in general anyway, just as an IT professional. But if you're, you know, setting policies and running awareness campaigns and you know assessing the risk of third parties and all those things that the governance, risk, and compliance people do, you have to be able to where, you know, walk in their shoes and understand exactly Mm -hmm. what it is that they care about because they don't wake up every morning and care about security. I mean, they may care that the company is secure, right? As a whole, that's a general kind of way of being, but they don't wake up to do it every day. And so you got to kind of latch on to what it is that they do. And then the kind of the other pieces of the organization, it's a security function. You know, I call like the security operations piece, the incident response slash intel organization. They, while they're not as you know, I wouldn't call them back office kind of IT folks you know, or, or security folks, but they are definitely you know, running the tools. And they're mostly, um, security operations in general, they're mostly working with other technologists for the most part. And so having, an, you know, having a background in infrastructure or you know, networking or any of those, I think, is really important. Because people don't, I don't you know, it's, it's not as rare now as it was before, but rarely did people come out of college and go right into security. Right. They're doing I think that's more happening a little bit more now because obviously there's actual degrees in cybersecurity and that and, and, there weren't before. And so I think people are coming out of school now and going into cyber. And I think that those curriculums have you know, the ones that we have, at University of Texas, San Antonio here, at UTSA, and they do an awesome job of of really well-rounded education for the people that are going through those programs.
2: I'm going to shout out yeah, someone I, at UTSA, Dr. White. Amazing dude. Amazing program. Completely agree. NSA yeah. affiliated and accredited program for those listening.
0: Awesome.
1: <laughs> I I just have to say, I think you actually ended up answering this in a much better way than I anticipated, which is not trying to drill down into the different aspects of cybersecurity, which obviously you can break that apart in way too many ways, but really looking more at this from like a cultural perspective and like those elements that is like, you know, so... Neil and I have a passion for helping people like break into this space there are some what needless barriers of entry for a lot of people but I think the way that you'd position it is those qualities that are missing like on paper yeah oh okay I've got S plus M plus eventually you want to get CISB and all that good stuff and it's very granular but like those other elements that you just stated are generally missing like you know you can't say it's like bedtime matter and all that and conversational but like you know the curiosity elements are generally missing. And if that's the kind of things that people with your stature are looking for, that is so important for people to understand. So Mm -hmm. I I just wanted to point that out, that I I really appreciate that you share that instead of just the aspects of, oh yeah, clearly you've got to get X, Y, and Z on paper.
0: Yeah, I think that people who say they want to get into cybersecurity, always wonder like there's so many different roles in cybersecurity and they're very different from each other. Right. Just like all IT practitioners are not the same. You've got people that work on apps, people that work on in infrastructure, people that work in project management, you know, all different you know, architecture. Right. So I think it's understanding that there's not like a single cybersecurity role, but there's many different ones. And some people will work with their heads down and don't need to talk to people every day. And some people only talk to people every day in that role. You know, so it's really understanding that and gravitating towards, you know, what your skill set is and what your interests are and where your passion is.
1: Love it. Yeah, that is just fantastic perspective. You know, I think that's just more fuel for that podcast that that, I know you want to eventually spin off into. (laughs) But that all said, again, I I just want to thank you for joining in and providing your perspective where we've already monopolized quite a bit of your time. So thank you so much for taking some time again to chat about prevention and just your background. And of course, how you were able to wrangle such a monstrosity of a system with so (laughs) many different, you know, points involved. So again, we just really appreciate you coming in and kind of sharing that uh, perspective with our listeners and occasional viewers.
0: Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining AZT, an independent series. Your hosts have been Elliot Volkman and Neil Dennis. To learn more about Zero Trust, go to adoptingzerotrust.com. Subscribe to our newsletter or join our Slack community. Viewpoints expressed during the show do not reflect the brands, employers, or companies of our hosts, guests, or potential sponsors.